Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Nothing About You Says Computer Technology, a podcast about cybersecurity and data privacy viewed through the lens of diverse voices. I'm your host, Anthony, a cybersecurity, data privacy, and regulatory attorney based in Oklahoma City. While I am a lawyer, I am not your lawyer, and this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Instead, think of this as a conversation between two friends. But if you need legal advice, please, please, please find a local attorney that can help you. Today, we have an amazing episode. I interviewed Tim Tutt, the co-founder and CEO of Night Shift Development. We chatted about his background and journey to becoming a tech founder, the work he does at Night Shift, data analytics, AI, and machine learning, along with the discussion of diversity in tech and cybersecurity. I hope you enjoy our conversation. We are super excited to have Tim Tut here today. Tim is a co-founder and CEO of Night Shift Development. Tim has a background in software engineering, software security, big data, and data analytics. Thank you so much for coming on our show today, Tim. I know I've just given you just a very short introduction, but could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely, and thanks for having me, Anthony. Yeah, my name is Tim Tut. Uh, like you said, I am the CEO and co-founder of Night Shift Development. Uh, I am actually, I tend to say I am a self-proclaimed data nerd. Um, it's probably one of my favorite side passions. I'm always looking for ways to exploit and leverage data in interesting and unique ways. been in the industry for... Uh, far too long now. Um, yeah, I believe it's goodness coming up on 17 years at this point. Um, so happy to be here and happy to chat today. Well, we'll talk about the work that you do at Night Shift a little bit later. But first, I want to talk about your origin story. A number of our listeners are just getting started in their careers in cybersecurity and in the technology field in general. How did you become interested in technology and software security? Yeah, so, you know, I actually became interested in technology from a very young age. Um, I, I believe when I was growing up, one of the things I used to do was I'd actually have my mom drive me to bookstores and I would go sit in the technology section and actually flip through, read books while we're sitting there for a little while and then go home and try to write some code myself and figure out how to build web pages. I actually ended up building my middle school's website while I was still in middle school. Um, and, you know, that interest and in, uh, drive in technology started really, you know, again, at that young age, just, you know, being very, very curious about how things worked and how I could help implement there. There are so many ways to get into the tech space. And I've interviewed people with PhDs to people who went through uh, certificate programs and boot camps. But you have what most people consider a more traditional tech background because you have a bachelor's degree in computer science. Can you talk to us about how college prepared you for the work that you're actually doing now? You know, it's interesting. I, this is one thing that I, I tend to talk about often. Um, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, college absolutely has its benefits and has its uh, has it prepares you in a, a very interesting way um, for the workforce. In particular, when it comes to technology, you get, especially with computer science, you get a foundation and a basis that allows you to think about things in a lot of unique ways. That said, uh, I have hired and worked with people that never went to school for it and were able to kind of learn on their own. And what I tend to find, especially when I'm hiring and when I'm looking for people, is people that have that interest and that drive and really hustle at the end of the day will outperform anyone, whether you whether or not you have a degree, because 
all of the information, all of the resources that are available now are available on the web, usually for free, whether it's YouTube videos or boot camps, whether it's paid or unpaid. Um, I wish the things that are available today were available when I was growing up and getting started um, now. I want to talk about the work that you do at Night Shift. Could you kind of walk us through uh, what your company does? Absolutely. So Night Shift Development, we, we tend to call ourselves a, a data exploitation company. And what that means is we help organizations make sense of their data. The large, the large way we do that is through our core platform called ClearQuery, which is a data and analytics platform designed to make it simple for people to get value from their data, no matter their technical skill level. So you don't need to have you know deep background in writing SQL or writing any kind of code. You don't need to go through months of training. You throw your data in, start getting insights, start drilling in, ask questions in natural language. And that's really kind of what we focus on is helping people get their value from their data through our core platform, ClearQuery. So let, let's kind of just take a, a step back for a moment. And you mentioned data analytics. Can you just give us just a high level kind of explanation of what that is? Yep, absolutely. So when we talk about data analytics, we look at four key categories. Uh, you know, there's the descriptive analytics, which is, hey, what's going on um, with my data? What's going on in my organization? Um, there's a diagnostic. Why are those things happening? What's, you know, what's driving these key changes in my data? There's a uh, predictive, which is, hey, how do I drive future outcomes? I, I want to increase my sales um, or I want to know what my sales are going to be. Um, you know, in December, or how do I do capacity planning for what we may need when I'm, you know, working in a, in a shop, um, whether that's a restaurant or, you know, a, a clothing store. And the last one is this uh, uh, prescriptive analytics, which is really focusing on how do we drive those outcomes? How do I change things to get to a particular goal? I want to increase my sales by 30%. What do I need to change in my business to drive those types of outcomes? Those are the four big categories of data analytics that we always talk about. And that's broadly, you know, kind of across the board. But at the end of the day, it's really about getting value from your data. That, that's really what data analytics is about at, the, at, the, at its core. So when we discuss data analytics, it often leads to a discussion of artificial intelligence and machine learning. And sometimes people kind of use all of those terms interchangeably. And so a number of our listeners are just getting their foot in the door. So since we have an expert here, can you kind of just give us just a basic kind of entry level explanation of, of what those terms are, what, what artificial intelligence is, what machine learning is, and then kind of how they're different? Sure. So, you know, I'll, I'll start with machine learning. And if you look at machine learning, it's really teaching the machine, you know, how to make informed statistical decisions. So looking at things that have happened in the past and how do I make an informed calculation on what might happen in the future? And this applies in a whole lot of different ways. There's a machine learning is a very, very broad category. When we talk about artificial intelligence, I always get a little weary, especially these days, because I think it's definitely an overloaded term. Artificial intelligence is really, you know, this machine self-learning and learning on its own in a very unique way. We're not at the Skynet levels of, you know, artificial intelligence just yet. Um, we've definitely kind of veered into, hey, how, how do machines become a lot more effective at learning and learning on their own? 
Um, how do we provide them enough instruction so that they can figure some of these things out? But we're not quite at this level where the machine is really, you know, growing up human brain. And when we talk about, you know, artificial intelligence, it's trying to mimic, you know, the human brain. How does our how does our brain actually operate? Um, like I said, we're we're e- veering into the early stages of that. But I think you know broadly, we're still in this you know, advanced machine learning stage, very early beginnings of true artificial intelligence in general. I was looking at the website that you have for one of your tools. And and, and one of the ways that people are using this technology is for cybersecurity. I saw one of those examples. Can you kind of talk to us about how it, your tool is being used for data analytics that can help cybersecurity? Absolutely. So, you know, we, we joke that, you know, we're not a uh, cybersecurity company, but we have some very interesting cybersecurity use cases. And one of those is uh, for threat hunting. How do we help enable um, a cybersecurity analyst, someone that is digging through log files? Because this is one of the things that you'll see often. We've got you know, tons of attacks coming through. What we need to do is dig through log files and figure out what, what attacks are things that we need to focus on. How do we block those? How do we identify those trends over time? And there are a handful of tools out there for that, but those tools usually require a pretty deep skill set in how to leverage those specific tools. If you think Splunk, um, you know, you have to learn, you know, the Splunk query language to actually be able to drill through and do the analytics and build those things. You've got to run through training courses. Um, you know, one of our good partners, Elastic, um, has a platform called Elasticsearch. They have a tool called Kibana, but it's really geared towards these more technical users. What we really wanted to focus on was how do we help enable those analysts that understand the business and the subject matter, understand, hey, I know what types of threats I'm looking for. I know the questions that I need to ask to drill into this data. How do I do that without needing to have all of the extra background and skills and writing code or you know learning this tool and taking um, a good bit of time? So one of the really cool use cases that we talk about is this ability for an analyst, a threat hunter to kind of come in and just start asking those questions in natural language, seeing those trends and very rapidly getting down to what the core threat is so that they can pass it off to their incident response team so that they can actually take action thereafter. No, that that sounds great. I still have nightmares of looking at Apache log files using <laughs> Splunk. And so this sounds like a great kind of tool to have out there. And, and so I kind of want to talk a little bit more about your company. Uh, what was the idea behind forming Night Shift? Yeah, so uh, myself and my co-founder, we both started um, working inside of government spaces, um, particularly inside of the intelligence community. And where, where we started there, we played middlemen between our end users and their data. So we both had access to go and run queries against you know the big massive data stores that we had and had the ability to go and write code against that as people came and asked us questions. And those questions usually tend to be pretty consistent. It was you know, questions about, hey, where where are things right now? What are the trends over time that I can look at to you know help further my analysis and determine you know what we need to do as a next best action? One of the things that I always say is developers by nature, we are lazy. Uh, so if I have to do something more than once, I am going to automate it and never do it again. Um, and that I think is you know the, the true crux of a developer. If you've gotten to that point where you're like, I've done this before, I can write a quick script and not have to do this again, that's where you're going to go. 
we got to this point where we said we're asked, getting asked these same questions over and over again. And really, we were the bottleneck between you know our end users, you know, hundreds of analysts coming through a group of you know a, roughly sixteen of us that can actually go and write these queries against these data source. So my co-founder and I took a step back and said, well, what if we could get out of the way and provide them software to get the answers to these simple questions? And then we can actually go and work on more interesting and fun problems ourselves um, and go and solve the harder problems. So that was really the crux of it was we wanted to get away from, you know, us being in the way and provide these capabilities to um, uh, to the analysts themselves. So we built the software to help solve that problem. As a black man in the tech space, what advice do you have for anyone, but especially for people of color uh, entering this industry? Yeah, so listen, there are a million capabilities out there for you to go out and learn resources available that, again, I really wish I had when I was growing up. Um, you know, there's YouTube videos, there's boot camps, there's very cheap boot camps and plenty of free boot camps that you can at least just get started on. And I think that's always the key is just getting started. Um, you know, there's a ton of resources. Figuring out a project is always the thing that I say is going to help you learn um, a little bit more. So what are you interested in? I have friends that are like, hey, I want to get into tech, but you know, I don't really know. But hey, I'm really interested in sports or I'm really interested in sports betting. Like, great. There are data sets out there for sports betting. You know, you could go and build an application um, around doing that analysis to help you inform what you're going to do. When you have that project and when you have something that you're really keen on, you're going to spend more time and more investment in really driving towards learning that thing instead of just, you know, that rote learning that we get in, you know, standard school where, hey, we go through these same exercises that maybe aren't that exciting for us. It's just, you know, I'm doing this to get the grade and get the piece of paper at the end of the day. Our listeners really enjoy when I have leaders of companies come on because they they can share insight about what they look for in new employees. Uh, I think you touched on this a little bit uh, earlier, but as someone who hires employees, what non-technical skills do you look for in potential employees? Yeah, the, the non-technical skills I and mean, really hustle is the number one. That is absolutely the first one I'm looking for. Someone that's going to want to get their hands dirty, that's going to be thinking about you know, how can I learn and improve myself over time? There's also, you know, these other non-tangibles that become very, imper- very important. The interpersonal relationships. How do I interact with other people? Can I engage in a team? Because the team aspects are very important. Even if you're working on a small project in isolation, that small project doesn't just exist in its own vacuum. Eventually, it's going to go over to fence to someone else. And being able to engage with other people is immensely important. Um, and being able to have those communication skills Um, becomes immensely important when you want to sell to customers or when you want to be in front of customers. So, you know, hustle is, you know, definitely number one, that ability to kind of engage with teams and communicate with people is is a a secondary big one that we're really um, focused on when I'm hiring. And again, you know, the the technical skills really kind of fall down to the wayside. Um, That said, it's the, if I believe you can do it and you're willing to learn and drive in, depending on what we're hiring for, if we're hiring for a more junior role, we're more willing to find someone that has that hustle and drive um, than someone that's, hey, I've got the degree, but I don't really care about this. I want to kind of shift gears for a moment. 
Uh, we talk a lot about cybersecurity on this podcast, and one of your areas of focus is software security. I always think it's interesting to ask people who are actively practicing uh, in the technology space uh, how they define cybersecurity and then what's the importance of software security. So, you know, when you talk about cybersecurity, you know, big, big arena, um, you kind of break it down into a handful of categories. There's the defensive cybersecurity, the how do we protect our systems, our networks, our data, whatever that is, it's really about protecting. And each one of those has its own individual subsections, you know, whether that's, you know, hey, we're monitoring firewalls, we're setting up networks to defend against attacks, we're, we're building access control rules around our data um, to make sure that people don't see things that they aren't supposed to see and we can protect it. There's the offensive side of things where you're actually actively going out and maybe red teaming um, against a, a particular system. Let's see where the threats and vulnerabilities are. How can I get into this? And this is, you know, ethical hacking is, is really what I'm talking about there. But, um, you know, it depends on where you want to kind of dive in. And this is one of the things that I always talk to people about. There's a whole lot of different arenas in cybersecurity um, that you can jump into. It really just depends on what you're most interested in. There's the analyst side. There's the, I want to set up the networks. I want to do the defense. Or I want to go and actively hack systems. Or I want to go and write the reports on, you know, how we, um, how you should protect your system or what's broken here. So, you know, Big broad arena, but yeah, I think those are the two major categories, and then each one of those has a ton of subcategories. So software security in particular, and you know, this kind of gets down to that that defensive side of things. Software security is in, in immensely important because you know, every one of us has a piece of software on our desktops. We've run into malware, um, you know, viruses that you know we uh, we get attacked with. And if we don't build code in a very secure way, um, if we allow uh, dirty inputs um, into, um, you know, whether it's a web application or the, you know, the front end of um, a of a system, it opens people up to a lot of vulnerabilities where data can be stolen, you can have complete shutdowns of systems, and this becomes even more important when you start talking about critical infrastructure from a global perspective. Um, You know, the things that are running our healthcare systems, streetlights, telecommunications, and those types of things, the software that's running it has to be secure so that you're you're defended against uh, potential attacks and threats there. I start every episode of this podcast, along with every cybersecurity or data privacy law class that I teach, with a discussion of cybersecurity or privacy or a technology story in the news. Is there a story in the news that we should be keeping our eye on? Yeah, you know, I, I think there, there's two that come to mind right now. Um, I, if you don't mind, I, you know, I'll throw out you know the first one, which is you know we've got a lot of hype around AI right now. Um, and it, you look at ChatGPT and the excitement around that. One of the things that people do keep missing is there have been a lot of vulnerabilities with ChatGPT. Samsung just a few weeks ago banned the usage of ChatGPT because they had a leakage of some of their proprietary information by people using that um, because you're using this external API. So while there's all this excitement and hype around hey, leveraging things like ChatGPT and AI and all these other tools that are coming up, there's a, there's a thought that people need to have about you know what's important, what needs to be secured before they throw their data in that to drive that. 
So that that's one, you know, just around the hype cycle around AI and you know, cybersecurity. The second one, though, um, that I find you know immensely important, um, kind of goes back to the, the topic I was just talking about. You know, just in the last week, we've seen China um, conducting cyber attacks against Guam, um, and one of the things that we have seen in particular in the past in the last several years is cyber attacks are now usually the first shots of war. And we're, we're looking at these cyber attacks in particular in Guam that are attacking critical infrastructure, wiping out military systems, you know, shutting down hospitals um, and telecommunications. Most people don't realize this, but the day before Russia invaded the Ukraine, they launched a massive cyber attack against Ukraine, shutting down all kinds of critical infrastructure. Um, so I think that's one of the big cybersecurity stories that I think you know, people really do need to be paying more attention to because it does underscore that importance of secure software and how we defend against these attacks, particularly with critical infrastructure type things. So I want to talk about technology workforce. Uh, one 2022 study found that African-Americans make up about 7% of the tech workforce in the United States. Uh, as an African-American navigating this kind of technology space, can you provide some advice for our listeners uh, about getting involved in tech? A lot of it is just doing. Um, jump into those boot camps, build those skill sets, building those portfolios. Um, as you are diving into technology, there's plenty of resources where you can build a portfolio of projects that you've done, even if you don't have necessarily the pure work experience. I am more interested in someone's GitHub profile than I am in their resume. Um, you know, are there things that you've been working on that I can dive into and see, okay, here's how you work through these problems. If I can go and look through your commit logs and see how you solve problems, I now get a better sense of how you're thinking and working through this and areas where you can improve so that we can work on that together as we're hiring. But it is very much so about just getting started and doing that, whether that is, a, again, a fun project or something else, but having that portfolio, um, you know, is critically important um, for, for me as a hiring manager um, to know that, yep, you A, have that hustle and drive, but B, um, you know, you've at least got some of that basis of skill, uh, basis of skill sets that we need if you don't have the work history to back it up. So ISC Squared's 2022 cybersecurity workforce study found that there's a global cybersecurity workforce shortage of about 3.4 million people. One of the ways to address this is by recruiting and retaining more diverse people uh, in the cybersecurity field. What should companies be doing to increase the number of women and people of color uh, in the technology field? Yeah, I think I, I got two thoughts on this. One, um, you know, the first thing companies really need to be doing is we need to stop looking at things from the very traditional sense of um, hiring. Everyone looks for a, hey, do you have a four-year degree? Do you have, you know, this deep work experience? The number of job postings that I see out there where they're looking for a junior role, but that junior role requires, you know, five to 10 years of experience, these things make no sense to me. Um, so we've got to be, you know, organizations have to be a lot better about really underscoring what the true skills are that they're looking for and that they need and how much they're willing to train and invest. And that's the second piece. They need to be training and investing in how we bring people 
people on, um, bring people on. There are a couple of large organizations that I've seen that have um, programs specifically targeted at um, bringing in diverse groups of people by providing scholarships and internships and also training um, for those individuals before they even come into the workforce, whether it's you know for college or high school students, um, allowing them to gain those skill sets. So I think those would probably be the, the two big things that I think organizations could do is you know, moving away from that traditional mindset of how we hire and then be um, really investing in training and bringing folks in, um, you know, from a, a variety of backgrounds. One topic that we talk about on the podcast a lot is diversity in the cybersecurity, privacy and technology field. Could you talk about the importance of having a diverse workforce? Diversity in your team brings so many unique ideas, and I think there's been study after study on this, but everyone comes from a very particular background. And when we talk about diversity, we're talking, you know, yes, in color, yes, in, you know, uh, gender, but, you know, also in backgrounds, you know, hey, if we're also pulling people that have very, very different backgrounds and have different experiences, they're going to think about problems in very unique ways. And when you bring all of those people together, you then start to identify things and identify solutions that you would have missed otherwise um, to problems that you would have missed otherwise. You know, you think about uh, some of the AI bias issues that we talk about. Uh, there were a few years ago um, when Amazon first launched one of their um, facial recognition piece of technologies, there were organizations that were using it but it was identifying people incorrectly um, because of the training data that was used uh, for that. So it had an inherent bias that was driving um, some very incorrect assumptions. And that's something that, you know, when you don't have a diverse team, you're going to miss that kind of, you know, um, thought process. So having this diverse team, you know, really helps to improve capabilities overall and improve the organization's ability to uh, to drive forward in a very effective way. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Could you let us know of any upcoming conferences or speaking engagements that you have coming up and, and where people can find you on the internet? Absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll actually, our next conference will be out at Black Hat in uh, Las Vegas. Um, our uh, Night Shift Development will have a booth there. It'll be labeled Clear Query for our core product. So if you're there, definitely please feel free to come out and see us there. Uh, I will, um, I am on the internet on uh, Twitter, Tim F. Tut, and uh, you can also find our website, clearquery.io, um, and learn more about what we're doing there. Um, really appreciate you having me on here, Anthony. No, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate the conversation. Great. Thank you.